this episode, recorded during the workshop on post-legislative scrutiny of the fourth gathering of Parlamerica's Open Parliament Network, Beyond the Walls of Parliament, Strengthening Parliamentary Oversight, Mr. Franklin DeVries, Senior Governance Advisor of the Westminster Foundation for Democracy, presents the importance of post-legislative scrutiny, its value for parliamentary oversight, and provides examples of this practice from around the world. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it's a true honor for me to be here with you and to share with you part of my research on post-legislative scrutiny and to share with you the richness and the diversity which exists around the globe on practices of post-legislative scrutiny. Um, so today I will be sharing some of these uh, knowledge and some of these experiences which I hope will be useful for any parliamentary reform which you might consider in your country. I'll try to do that in the next uh, 20 minutes. And first of all, I want to bring us to the moment when you as members of parliament have pushed the button or have raised your hand and adopted a piece of legislation. So that moment, and then members of parliament expect the law to be implemented Members of Parliament assume that the law will be implemented as intended and Members of Parliament hope that the law will have a visible impact. However, as we know, expectations, assumptions and hope don't always come true. And that's why we talk about the need for the evaluation of the implementation of, post, uh, of legislation. So, why do we talk about post-legislative scrutiny? As we know, implementation of legislation is a complex issue. It does not happen automatically. So implementation of legislation depends on a number of issues. First of all, it depends on the clarity of the legislative text. We see in a number of countries that parliament sometimes adopts legislation which is very vague. And vague legislation is very hard to implement. Or Implementation also depends on compatibility with other laws, the constitutional and international obligations. If there are contradictions, it's very hard to ensure implementation of legislation. It also depends on the available resources to implement the law. We see in a number of countries that laws are adopted, but no resources are planned for the implementation of legislation, meaning both human resources and financial resources. So we should not just assume that these resources will be available. Implementation also depends on the availability of secondary legislation. So the extent to which these decrees and secondary legislation are issued, the extent to which they are issued on time. Because in a number of countries, we see that sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, sometimes even years before secondary legislation is issued. And of course, we want to make sure that the secondary legislation is fully in line with the primary legislation. And it's not a way to go around the objectives of to change the objective of the primary law. And implementation also depends on the accessibility to the legislation for those in charge of enforcement. We have seen in some countries that a judge, for instance, is ruling on a specific issue but makes no reference to the, to the recent law adopted on that case because maybe the judge has not been informed on what is the most recent piece of legislation. So these are the issues which affect the implementation of legislation. 
And so what we are saying today is that Parliament has a responsibility to monitor that legislation is implemented as intended and has these effects. And sometimes Parliament have very little information at hand on the implementation of legislation. And so post-legislative scrutiny is exactly about this, getting grip on the information available on the state of implementation of legislation. So what is post-legislative scrutiny? It's a broad concept, and I think in general we can say it has two dimensions. First, it has a legal dimension, meaning we are looking at the enactment of the legislation. So we are looking at the legal, if the legal provisions of the law have been brought into force. So has all secondary legislation been issues, issued, or are there any relevant court proceedings? In some cases, the law can be challenged in front of the Supreme Court or the Constitutional Court. Also, has the implementation agency been established and mandated to establish the law? So these are relevant um, legal issues to assess in post-legislative scrutiny. But there's also a second dimension, which means we are looking at the impact of the legislation. So to what extent has the law reached its specific policy objectives? Can the implementation and the delivery be improved? Or are there any lessons learned on the impact of the legislation? And in some countries we see that there is a temptation to reduce the scope to let's look at the legal aspects. Has the secondary legislation been issued? Has there been any relevant court proceedings? Need we need to keep an eye on the constitutional court and their interpretation of the law? That's very important. But the second dimension, what is the actual impact of the legislation, should not be overlooked. And that is a key responsibility for um, Parliament. So if we put post-legislative scrutiny a little bit in the broader framework of the legislative cycle. As you know, legislation is of course based on first policies. Policy priorities are being set. It leads to the drafting of a piece of legislation. Uh, often approved by ministry and then by the government as a whole, and then sent to parliament for debate and approval. Then follows the implementation, and after the implementation by the executive most uh, often, then is the time for the assessment of its impact. Certain gaps can be identified, and that in itself can then give, um, give way to a new legislative initiative. So this is the legislative cycle of which post-legislative scrutiny is a part. And this is actually very similar to the budgetary cycle, which you're all very familiar with. The budgetary cycle starting with identifying budget priorities, drafting a budget proposal, um, having it approved, ex the budget executed, and then the auditing of the expenditures, which feeds into the design of a new budget. So in a similar way, post-legislative scrutiny is part of a legislative cycle approach. Now, post-legislative scrutiny is also clearly part of the oversight role of parliaments. Within the two main functions, legislation and oversight, I think we can say post-legislative scrutiny belongs to the oversight role within the legislative cycle. At the same time, we have to, to mention that the oversight role of Parliament is broader because Parliament looks at the oversight of policies, the oversight of the functioning of the government administration, 
maybe oversight of international commitments. So here we are speaking about the oversight on the implementation of legislation. So it's part of the oversight role, but as you can see in this modest uh, diagram, it is uh, also touching upon the legislative role of Parliament. Now, as I've said, there are different practices in different countries. And there, are, there is a richness and a diversity in practices on post-legislative scrutiny. Um, what I want to do now in the next couple of minutes is actually give you a flavor of the diversity which exists and outline that the diversity is very much around the level of uh, structures and procedures which parliaments have established around the globe as well as in terms of the diversity of the outputs. What does it actually produce? What is the output, the outcome of a post-legislative scrutiny exercise? And so the interesting uh, issue about post-legislative scrutiny, it's a new field, but there is already some academic research done on it. And so academics have identified three types of parliaments, three types of scrutinizers. So first we have the passive scrutinizers. So that were parliaments which have not their own monitoring or impact assessment capacity. So these parliaments rely very much on the information and the reports of others, from governments, from state institutions, from independent agencies. They are providing these reports to parliament and that is their main source. Under passive scrutinizers, these are also the parliaments which have not much of an own administrative capacity to conduct post-legislative scrutiny. They don't have established departments or units on post-legislative scrutiny, so it is um, very much relying on what the existing structures are. Then we have the informal scrutinizers. They are a bit more proactive. Uh, in some parliaments, they have some ad hoc structures. That means there can be a research department with a couple of people responsible to keep an eye on post-legislative scrutiny. There can also be some procedures, but it's not very systematic. There are more ad hoc procedures on dealing with um, evaluating the implementation of legislation. And then we have the formal scrutinizers. So these are the parliaments which have institutionalized post-legislative scrutiny in a much more formal way. It's legally grounded, as you will see in the examples I will provide, covering, it's grounded in legislation or sometimes even in the constitution. There are also specific parliamentary bodies and structures responsible for post-legislative scrutiny. So these are the formal scrutinizers. So these are a couple of countries I'm going to talk about as a way of introduction and as setting the scene for uh, the discussion. These are countries uh, from around the globe, from Europe, from Asia and from Africa. I didn't touch upon countries here in the Americas because that will be our next session. But here you have a couple of countries and parliaments structured along this continuum of passive scrutinizers, informal scrutinizers, and formal scrutinizers. And as you can see, it's on these two lines of related to structures and procedures, as well as on the uh, outputs. So let me take you on this journey of elaborating and exploring the richness of what exists on post-legislative scrutiny. The first one, let's, take, let's start with a small country. Passive scrutinizer is Estonia. 
Estonia is a small country in the north of Europe, belongs to, belonged before to the Soviet Union, is now a member of the European Union. What is interesting here is that the government of Estonia has established in its rules of procedure, in its rules of legislative drafting, that they have an internal debate whether any bill they are considering should have a clause for a mandatory review. Also, who should conduct this review, according to which criteria, and what should be the content. So, whenever the government of Estonia, before the government of Estonia submits a law to parliament, they had an internal debate if there should be a clause, if there should be an article actually making it mandatory to evaluate that law. So when the government then uh, conducts this evaluation, they send these reports to Parliament, to various stakeholders, and also to the Ministry of Justice. So here, because it's a passive scrutinizer, the Parliament has no own capacity, no own resources to conduct post-legislative scrutiny, but they rely on the information from the government and from reports of various um, legal, uh, reports on legal and impact assessments um, of the implementation of legislation. Second country I want to mention is uh, Germany. Um, Germany conducts post-legislative scrutiny as part of the standard oversight. So within the general oversight over the executive, um, there are reporting duties from ministries, there are questioning, there are hearings, there are informal contacts between ministers and members of parliament. Now, what is interesting here is that there is a governmental scrutiny. The government is reviewing implementation as well as, and that is specifically for Germany interesting, the statistical office. The federal statistical office has a key role in collecting the data on implementation of legislation alongside the National Regulatory Reform Council. So that's the council which keeps an eye on the quality of the regulations within the country. The Bundestag, the parliament itself, has established then three departments, or has three departments which have some responsibility on post-legislative scrutiny. So first there is the scientific service, uh, service which is the, um, the research department of the parliament. Then is an office on technology assessment, and there is a council on sustainable development. So each from their own point of view, they provide uh, assessment to the members of parliament on the impact of legislation. So this is still belongs to the passive scrutinizers. If we now go one step further and we look to the informal scrutinizers, so they go a bit further in terms of the output, in terms of the reports they pr produce, and they're also stronger in terms of the structures and the procedures. The first country to mention here is uh, South Africa. Um, they have done actually, and they are still, uh, still ongoing, an interesting experiment to evaluate the impact of the legislation adopted since the end of apartheid. So the parliament wanted to know all these anti-apartheid legislation, what is the impact? What have we achieved? So since the parliament has very limited internal resources, they decided to outsource it to an uh, expert panel under the leadership of a former speaker. So the former speaker with 17 experts identified all relevant anti-apartheid legislation and clustered them in four policy areas, the ones which you see here on the screen. 
They have also then been uh, conducting um, public hearings in nine provinces, so they are traveling and they are still traveling throughout the country, meeting with citizens, stakeholders, they do local television shows, radio shows, public debates, to know from the citizens what is the impact of this piece of legislation or what are challenges related to that piece of legislation. Um, this external panel under the chairmanship of the former speaker will soon report to the Parliament Bureau, which is the one which has um, uh, authorized this exercise. The next uh, informal scrutinizer to mention here is uh, Italy. What is relevant here is that it is the Parliament administration, the Parliament staff, which is in the driving seat. They are the ones which are actually leading the MPs in conducting the analysis. Now, Italy is a bicameral parliament and um, each house of parliament has their own approach. So the lower house, the chamber of deputies, they have a specific service for parliamentary oversight which looks at the legal dimension of post-legislative scrutiny. So specifically on the enactment and on the secondary legislation. And they, their sources of information is very much the reports from uh, governments and of a number of other official institutions. The upper house of Italy, the Senate, has two relevant departments. One service for the quality of regulation, so it looks at the legal dimension, but they have also specific office for impact assessment. So these are parliamentary staff in the Senate which actually study the um, impact and to what extent the objectives are being met. These are the strong sides of the Italian system. There is, however, one weak side as well, is that although parliamentary staff produce very good reports, there is very little follow-up on the side of the MPs. The members of parliament do not really take the reports and the recommendations forward very strongly. On the other hand, the reports are being published, all of them, on the parliament website, and we see that civil society sometimes uh, takes uh, issues forward. And then the last category are the formal scrutinizers. So let me take you now to Asia, where Indonesia is playing a key role in uh, post-legislative scrutiny in a very institutionalized way with more written outputs and more structures. So they have actually identified these two main dimensions of post-legislative scrutiny and allocated them to specific committees. So the responsibility for looking at the enactment of legislation, the legal dimension, is assigned specifically to the legal committee. And they produce a report on the legal aspects of the implementation of legislation. This report is then sent to the subject committees, to the thematic committees, to look at the impact of the legislation. So they look at um, and they also conduct specific hearings with stakeholders on the impact of legislation. So you have here in Indonesia clear structure, clear division of uh, responsibilities and work, and also specific staff support, uh, the, the support, the staff which support the specific legal committee and subject committees. Another uh, formal scrutinizer is the Parliament of Sweden. What is interesting here is that post-legislative scrutiny has been included in the main task of Parliament during the latest constitutional reform. So Sweden has amended its constitution 
and has um, uh, specifically stipulated post-legislative scrutiny as a task for Parliament, in addition to outlining the rules uh, or the, the specific guidance in the rules of procedure. It covers both the verification of legal enactments and the impact assessment. In terms of the sources for um, the Swedes, um, here I think what is relevant is they look specifically to the National Audit Office for um, information. Um, also relevant to mention here is that the reports on post-legislative scrutiny are submitted to the plenary session and they often trigger a formal debate. Parliament adopts resolutions or motions um, relevant to the recommendations on post-legislative scrutiny. And there is also a specific uh, secretariat, an evaluation and research secretariat department which underpins this work. So this is in terms of the formal scrutinizers. And then the last country I want to mention uh, this afternoon is the United Kingdom, which has also quite a formalized system. What is interesting here is that in the House of Commons, in the lower house, uh, the main responsibility is with the select committees. And what happens is that there is an agreement between parliament and government that the government will scrutinize implementation of all legislations three to five years after it has been enacted. And the government departments, they compile a memorandum and an, an assessment report, and they send it to the select committee. If the select committee, if the thematic committee considers this report good, great, sufficient, comprehensive, they leave it there. But very often the committee will say it's an interesting report from the, gov from the government, we like the memorandum, useful information, but it's incomplete. There are a couple of issues which are missing. So the committee, the select committee starts its own inquiry and then they can do this usually by doing a call for written evidence, also organize public hearings, do a number of interviews with stakeholders and then come up with their own report with recommendations uh, on the implementation of the legislation. That is in the House of Commons. In the House of Lords, it's uh, slightly different. Um, there, the, the House of Lords established temporary committee, ad hoc committee on post-legislative scrutiny of a specific law. So those members, those parliamentarians, which are interested or knowledgeable on a specific issue, they will be called to sit in that ad hoc committee. And then they follow the same uh, methodology. What is also interesting to mention here is that the, uh, when the report is adopted and published, this is not the end of the story. Um, the report uh, deserves an answer and the report re uh, receives an answer. So two months, eight weeks after the committee has uh, presented its report, the government must respond whether it accepts, rejects or partially accepts the uh, recommendations of the ad hoc committee. So in closing, I want to just to make it a little bit more concrete and tangible, give you one concrete example of how this thing works. So one example is the Equality Act of 2010, which um, establishes all the, um, covers all forms of equality, gender, age, race, disability, sexual orientation and then also identifies, of course, no discrimination is allowed on any of these issues. 
So a committee was established to evaluate implementation of this law, but because it's such a broad scope, they decided to um, zoom in on one issue, the issue of disability. So to what extent are persons with a disability, persons which are um, obliged to make use of a wheelchair, or they discriminated? They organized various, um, various um, hearings, they had a lot of feedback, and they published their report. Now the most concrete uh, outcome of this is, and this will be my, my last point, is that they looked specifically at taxi transport. There were a lot of complaints that people sitting uh, in a wheelchair were being discriminated when they were calling a taxi. Very often the taxi company would say, well, thank you for your call, but we are not coming. We are not picking up this person because, you know, it's too complicated, um, so we refuse. Or they would say, we do accept, but we are going to double charge, which is a clear case of discrimination. So the parliamentary committee looked into this issue, and they identified that this piece of the legislation, section 165, was not implemented. They called the minister to the committee meeting to ask the minister, what have you done to ensure implementation? And initially, the minister had said, well, well, this is a bit complicated, you know, this is about culture, it's about general understanding of the public, it's very hard to force these kind of things, so what can we do as politicians? However, the members of parliament did not accept this response of the minister, and they forced him to come back a second time, and then a third time, to actually explain what has the department done to ensure enforcement of the legislation. And then finally, the minister uh, explained that he has taken two initiatives. He has um, issued a written warning to the Association of Taxi Drivers to inform them that this is the relevant legislation which needs to be issued, and you're bound by that. And second, specific uh, instructions were given to the police that they can issue fines against taxi companies which discriminate against people with disabilities. So when the minister explained this to the parliamentary committee, the committee could conclude that indeed this piece of legislation has been implemented. I think this is a very concrete example how post-legislative scrutiny can contribute to uh, improving policies, improving um, uh, living situations for concrete citizens and also contribute to improved effectiveness uh, of parliament. So in summary, as I mentioned, in the Westminster system, all, post -legis all legislation gets a review, three to five years, and the government comes up with a piece of information, and then it is up to the parliament to decide uh, how to take this issue forward. So this is the um, information I wanted to share with you and setting the scene for our discussion this afternoon. As I mentioned, outlining the richness and the diversity of the various approaches around the globe on post-legislative scrutiny. And I hope this will also be a good start to delve further into the practices here in Latin America. Thank you.